0: said, And cheers to you, you Napa Valley lover you. Today on the show, we're talking booze, the good stuff, distilled right here in downtown Napa by my guest, the proprietor of the Napa Valley Distillery, Mr. Arthur Hartunian. He's got a great story. He came to this profession from doing it as a hobby to then just having this burning desire to drop whatever else he was doing, come to Napa Valley and become a distiller. And he's doing a great job of it. We'll hear what he's got to say, what it's like making spirits here in the midst of wine country, and I know you're going to enjoy it. He's a good guy with some good stories to tell. Before we get to it, come see me. I'm inviting you. Come over to Judd's Hill on Silverado Trail amongst the verdant vines of our dear Napa Valley. We're open daily. Visiting information is at www.judshill.com. While you're there, look around. We've got some really fun videos to check out, recipes. You can meet the family. We've always got something delicious for you. And if you put some in your shopping cart and type in JNVS, which stands for Judd's Napa Valley Show, type that in upon checkout. Put that in lowercase letters, by the way. We'll give you 15% off your entire wine order. How's about that? If you want a better deal, we'll give you a better deal but you gotta be a member of our wine club. And if you're not, I've said it a million times. I'll say it again, you ought to be. We guarantee you a good time. You get access to all the wines, many of which, actually almost all of which are winery direct, meaning you're not gonna find them in restaurants or stores. You gotta come to us or have us send them to you. And that's the way for us to get them to you. Be a member of the wine club. It's free to join. And then you get invitations to all of our great events that we have. Plenty of fun let us be your social guides here in Napa Valley by being a member of our Juds Hill Wine Club. All that information is on our website as well, judshill.com. Have a look. Looking forward to seeing you soon here at the winery. And in the meantime, enjoy today's show.
1: Get ready for another heap full of fascinating things to know from witty and intriguing people on Jud's Napa Valley Show. No stale script and no rehearsing, live from a Napa studio. You may be that intriguing person on Judd's Napa Valley Show, on Judd's Napa Valley Show, Judd's Napa, Judd's Napa Valley, Judd's Napa Valley Show. And now, live from the 1440 KVON studio in the beautiful Napa Valley, it's Judd's Napa Valley Show. I'm Lauren Mole, and here's your host, John Fengelstein.
0: Thank you very much, Lauren (laughs) Mole. Top of the day, John. Top of the day, Lauren. What is new and exciting in the land of Lauren?
1: Well, we just started, uh, actually, we resumed, pardon me, uh, rehearsals for sound and music for Broadway Bound Kids in Sonoma. That's
0: right. That's coming up when? Uh, In May. In May. So, folks. May.
1: Uh, 8th or the
0: 11th Great, and you'll keep us up to date as to when tickets will be available And will you be in every production? I know in Wizard of Oz you kind of yes. traded roles but, I did But in this one you'll be just, just Maybe just plain What's that? Maybe just plain, just so, solo Solo, Maybe you're not switching roles M- Maybe not, who knows Oh, we're not sure, it's a surprise That's what I like about you, you're a man of mystery I You am. keep us guessing all the time That's right I wanted to ask you last week, and didn't get to it, since we're still in January, I think it's a fair question. Lauren Mole, in-studio announcer of Judd's Napa Valley show, Man About Town, a professional voice of the Napa Valley, have you made any New Year's resolutions? Unfortunately, no. Okay, let's move on then. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Okay. Well, I, I, I'll tell you something. This isn't necessarily a resolution. Fire away, Judd. All right. Well, it's a resolution I make every year, and that is to just have more fun. And it seems impossible because uh, I'm always I'm always trying to have some fun. But we've got a fun thing coming up at our family winery, Judd's Hill, here on Silverado Trail, just north of the town of Napa. February 16th is our Valentine's party at the winery. You know it's a couple days after actual Valentine's Day, but we'll be celebrating. Love will be in the air at Judd's Hill. And it is going to be complimentary for our wine club members. So um, come on down, call and make a reservation, you know, RSVP. If you're not a wine club member, I think you ought to be. It's free to join, all that good stuff. You can look at judshill.com for information. Um, but it's also open to the public. You can come on down. Then it's $45 a person, but we'll have all sorts of goodies library wines, current wines, treats, massages. Yeah. All sorts of good stuff. You can look at the website and get all the information. I don't want to take up all your time. But that's February 16th from noon to 2.30 at Jud's Hill. Go to judshill.com and click on events for all of the information. And I hope that we'll see you there. Lots of fun. Oh, yeah. It, I'm sure it will be. You've been to some of our parties over there. Oh, yeah. Very good. All right. Well, we have got a show today. Would you like to introduce our guest? Sure, Judd.
1: Crafting spirits, each bottle a thriller. So pour yourself a glassful, careful not to spill her. Let's welcome Napa's downtown distiller. Oh, may I add, thank you for tuning in.
0: Now say hello to Arthur Hartunian. There he is, Arthur Hartunian. That was awesome. <laughs> you are the proprietor of the Napa Valley Distillery. Yes, I am. Right here in downtown Napa, you're making booze.
2: In fact, about a mile away
0: from where we are right from now. From where we are right now. So you you are making as I said, you're making booze in the heart of wine country. What what what's that like? Are you Well, tell me what tell me what your experience is making making spirits here in wine country.
2: Sure. Uh first of all, thank you for ha- for having me on the show. It's fantastic uh, to welcome. be here. Um, you know, I I think uh I think Napa Valley uh, is really more than just wine. It's 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 part of the Napa Valley lifestyle, food, wine, um, and cocktails, because mm-hmm. uh, a, I believe a proper cocktail is always part of the, uh, a dining experience. Uh, you know, a martini or a Manhattan before dinner is always nice. <laughs> sure. And you can always have plenty of wine during dinner as well, so... Uh, I think it's just a, a, a integral part of the dining experience, and I'm referring to cocktails. So what better place to do that is here in Napa?
0: Yeah, you don't have to convince me. I'm definitely a fan of the cocktail and of a great dining experience, and you're right. Here we have great food, great wine, and now, more than we ever have in the past, great cocktails and the talent with which to make cocktails. Last week, I had Jason Withrow from Red, mm-hmm. a fantastic mixologist, and we have talented distillers now, such as yourself, right Thank here you. in downtown Napa. Thank you. What what got you on this path? what's your What's your background? You know,
2: um, life has a way of bringing opportunities to to you, uh, sometimes kind of unexpectedly. But my background was not in distilling. Um, I, I was a fan of cocktails, or have been a fan of cocktails uh, for for most of my life. i love wine, um, but I've I've been in various other business ventures and jobs oh, yeah. uh, in my past life. But I've always had a desire to one day have my own um, brand of uh, of spirits. Uh, and the opportunity came up a few years ago to start a distillery. And, um, you know, when opportunity presents itself, sometimes you just have to throw caution in the wind and just
0: jump right in. And that's what we did. Well, can I bring something up that I, I read about you? Sure. And you can, you can deny or confirm. <laughs> okay. uh, the LA Weekly. Uh-huh had a story about you a while back. Mm-hmm. And and it was written in, the, in their article that you became a distiller during an economy-induced midlife crisis.
2: Yes, absolutely.
0: I'm sorry if I'm bringing up <laughs> no, something. No, it that's, that's was right there in right. print.
2: <laughs> it's right. Um, but most of my friends uh, thought I was... Going through a midlife crisis when Uh-oh. I started a distillery. Oh. Um, they were just like, well, why don't you just buy a sports car that you can't fit into, just like a normal person, <laughs> right. and move on with your life? Like do a uh, skydive
0: and car exactly, a Exactly.
2: Something ridiculous. Um, so, well, I decided to start a distillery. Uh, it, it, I was turning 40 at the time, and I, in fact, got my license um, to distill on my
0: birthday, on my 40th birthday. Oh, really? Happy birthday. Thank That's you. a good present. <laughs> And then did you already have the distillery in place? I'm not no. sure how the process yeah, works. Well, you know,
2: when we started, we, we absolutely knew nothing. And when I say we, I started a distillery with my wife, Lucene. Uh, we knew absolutely nothing about the distilling industry. Um, it, it's quite complicated. Um, but we we knew we wanted to be in that space. We knew we wanted to uh, own a little distillery. And, I mean, I've made liqueurs at home for for years before we got into the business. So I had some idea of what I was doing, but I didn't know what I was getting into. Uh Um, and it was a learning experience to say the least. Um, there were many challenging days, a lot of great days, a lot of very disappointing days, but we kept plugging away. We kept working at it and, um, things have uh, really progressed in the last five years.
0: That's great. I mean, you've got obviously the distillery right here in downtown Napa. Right. And you now have, well, you've had a presence here at the Oxbow Market, which Mm -hmm. is now expanding.
2: That's right. So Um, tell
0: me what's happening there. It seems like very exciting news.
2: It's fantastic news, actually, not just for us, but all of California, Um, all of California's distillers, um, just for California in general, because the reason we're expanding is because of a, uh, a piece of legislation that was recently signed into law by Governor Brown AB 933, allowing uh, distillers all over the state to operate tasting rooms. Right. And um, then uh, by operating a tasting room, they're also allowed to charge a nominal fee for the tasting. Mm-hmm. And it's really it's just to offset the costs of of the uh, product and the, the cost that go into
0: operating a tasting room. Oh, I understand. We have a tasting room at the winery. I get the economics exactly. of it. Exactly. But it always seemed a little bit unfair. Maybe I hadn't done my research to find out why. We really couldn't—well, I mean, it was illegal for spirits to—distillers uh, to have tasting rooms, mm-hmm. yet I have traveled to other states and gone on distillery tours, and guess right. what? You know, five bucks, and you get five tastes of—or whatever it is, you know, sure. maybe it was a little more, but um, uh, you can you can taste the, the spirits they're making, but you come back to California, and you no couldn't sir. Do that. That's
2: right. California, and, for arguably being one of the most liberal states in the, in the country, in terms of distilled spirits manufacturing laws— um, mm. was way behind the curve. In fact, they were on par with states like Mississippi and Alaska and way behind uh, states like Utah, which mm. actually has very liberal distilled spirits manufacturing laws.
0: I've actually I've visited the, uh, the High West Distillery <laughs> High West in distillery. Park City many right. times and mm. sat and had cocktails and tasting flights of their whiskey. It's, exactly. It's a lot of fun.
2: It's like a, a distillery pub where you can actually taste in cocktail form the distilled spirits that are being made on site. Mm-hmm. And that's generally how those distilled spirits are enjoyed, through a cocktail. Right, uh, But we can't do that here in California yet.
0: So. Oh, is that right? Just
2: it's just a straight pour, quarter
0: ounce pour of like, a bottled spirit. Now you apparently, from what I read in the press, were instrumental in getting this legislation passed.
2: Yes, I was involved with the California Artisanal Distillers Guild. I had the pleasure of being the uh, first president of the guild. Um, we celebrated our one-year anniversary last August, but we, uh, the core group, really has been communicating about this issue for some time. And I work with uh, just a, a bunch of really awesome entrepreneurs and artists in the distilling space. We bonded together and lobbied for these um, for these changes to to happen, uh, giving us a chance to showcase our products and also contribute back to local and state economies by hiring additional staff and generating additional tax revenue for the state. And of course, um, adding a little bit of an additional experience to visitors of California. Mm -hmm. And of course, all of the products that we all make, just about all of the products, are made from ingredients that are sourced from California. So Mm. it's great all around. It's a great thing to promote spirits uh, that are made here in California, in
0: in my opinion yeah i I couldn't agree more. <laughs> so now that the legislation is passed, you're able to offer tasting. Right. You've had this beautiful space in the Oxbow. I mean everybody I run into and I, I hang out with a lot of you know cocktail enthusiasts right They love visiting your space. you've made it look like this very comfy old fashioned yet classy bar an amazing amount of bitters, which I'll get to Mm -hmm. in a minute, as well as the spirits that you make. So what's going to happen now? You're moving to a bigger space?
2: Yes, we're expanding into, for those people who know the Oxbow, there was a a tea shop there called Tillerman Tea. Um, We're expanding to the space that used to be Tillerman Tea. It's a little bit larger. um, It has a larger bar. So we'll be able to um, offer our distilled spirits tastings in a more open, just a more efficient way for us. And I think Overall, be able to
0: provide a better experience for consumers. What will folks be tasting? What have you got on the dock?
2: We It'll be a revolving menu. Uh, per California ABC laws, there are limitations for distilled spirits tastings. Um, we are only allowed to pour six quarter-ounce pours per person per day. Uh, so to make it fun and interesting, we decided to constantly have a have a kind of a revolving menu of different seasonal liqueurs, brandies, um, you know that sort of thing. Just flavored brandies, and then uh, some of our more unique things, like our gin.
0: And you make all these things yourself?
2: Yes, everything is made and bottled here in Napa. Okay,
0: that's that's pretty exciting. Get the Napa experience through through spirit. And um, will you have events? Uh, will we're there, planning we're, on it. Yeah, yeah? we're
2: going to have a lot of fun. We have a lot of things uh, being planned with my tasting room manager, uh, Paul Martin, who used to be with St. George Spirits. Okay, uh, which is one of my favorite places to visit. They're in Alameda. Yeah. We're planning a lot of really cool events during the during the year. Our space is a little small, but we'll make. We'll yeah, make any
0: it. sneak previews? Want to tip your hand a little bit?
2: Um, a costume event involving um, a kind of a speakeasy theme, where the uh, best dressed costume or best uh, uh, looking uh, speakeasy theme <laughs> uh, couple will get uh, a special prize.
0: Okay, okay. So that and much, much more. Yes. Lots of spirits. Coming to your space in the Ox. But when, when will that be opening up?
2: Um, we're scheduled to
0: open the new space on March 1st. Okay, that's that's not too right far around from the now. Possibly Perfect a little timing. sooner. Yep. Perfect timing for spring, for St. Patrick's Day? For... No, for the opening. Oh, there, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, absolutely. Let's see. So what, you know, I'm thinking back to my own experience. I'm second generation vintner. But I know with my folks, they started making wine as a hobby in the garage, mm-hmm. literally. You know, as a little kid, there were never cars in the garage. It was full of hand cranked. Uh, there was a press. There was a hand cranked uh, cr- crusher. We stomped on grapes. That, that's what was in our garage. There was a couple extra refrigerators for cold. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, what am I trying to say? For <laughs> the passion? It starts yeah, from cold stabilization. That's what I'm trying to say. And they started, you know, getting reputation like the wine. Mm-hmm. Was pretty good for being made in a garage, and mm-hmm. of course, their friends liked it. Uh, started winning some awards at the local fairs. I mean, did you? You said you've been making liqueurs for right. Well, anyway, that was kind of the uh, I put the idea in their heads that well, maybe we could do this for real. You know, they right. wanted they wanted a change in their life, and so they got into the wine business because mm-hmm. they had been doing it as a hobby with some success on the hobby level. So, you said you'd been making uh, liqueurs. Is that correct? Exactly. For yeah. some time, did that. Yeah. Uh, did that, that spur the idea? Were you getting good feedback? Were you entering it in competitions? Um, Tell me how...
2: Yeah, you know, we we got started very similar to how your parents got started. You know, it all starts from a passion and a desire to make something, and very similar to how we started. Um, I was making liqueurs at home, and we were m- making liqueurs and passing them out as holiday gifts and presents. And I, I guess uh, uh, if I really trace back to what triggered the idea of let's turn this passion, this hobby into a business was uh, through a poker game. Okay. I was part of a regular poker game on Thursday nights uh, in Central California, where we lived at the time. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was at a Italian restaurant who was owned by a very good friend of mine. Uh, we would, bunch of friends, you know, usually about six or seven of us, we'd, we'd get together, have a fantastic dinner, drink a lot of wine, and um, then play poker afterwards. And during the poker game, my friend, the chef, would bring out some different Italian liqueurs, some some bucas and limoncellos, and we would sample and enjoy and drink and have fun. It was, it was about playing poker, but it was also about spending time together and laughing and cracking yeah. jokes. And, and sometimes the games would go on for hours into yeah. the night. But it was that was that was our one night to really kind of let go and have fun. And one day I tasted a limoncello that um, uh, my friend Pino uh, had had brought in. And I just made a comment that, oh, I can make a better limoncello than this. (laughs) And, and, you know, he's Italian, so it's kind of personal.
0: That was throwing down the gauntlet. Exactly.
2: And he said, you know, you're Armenian. What do you know about limoncello? This is our (laughs) (laughs) thing. And so we made a bet that I couldn't produce something that everybody would like more. And what I mean, everybody—I mean everybody—at the poker poker game. So I went home and I started experimenting. And in Italy, they use Sorrento lemons, um, which are just this beautiful, big, juicy, lemony fruit.
0: Is that what I've heard that you, there are specific lemons to be used? I didn't know the name exactly Sorrento. for
2: authentic limoncello, okay. um, which made in Italy. It's the Sorrento lemon. I okay. guess the closest cousin would be similar to the Eureka lemon, which is which are the lemons you see in the supermarket. But Sorrento lemons are just. They're just bigger, okay. just a really nice, beautiful looking lemon. Mm. So that's what's used for authentic Italian style limoncello. Well, we're in California. We don't have Sorrento lemons, but we do have plenty of Meyer lemons. Yeah, and Meyer lemons are, in fact, not really even a lemon. They're they're a crossbreed between a lemon and a mandarin orange. Uh, but that's what we have here in California. Mm-hmm. So I decided to make something a little bit different. And Meyer lemons are less acidic. They're just they're they're more sweeter, they're naturally uh, sweeter lemon, right. so the flavor profile was going to be a lot different. Uh, but to make a long story short, I made some limoncello using my recipe with organic Meyer lemons and took it back to the poker game. Everybody loved it. In fact, Pino started carrying it at the restaurant, oh, and
0: really?
2: <laughs> just he made this comment that you know you should bottle this one day, and just that kind of just floated around in my head for for a while um, until we. Decided to bottle it one day and turn this passion that we had and this hobby into, uh, well, to see if we can turn it into a business. And, of course, it turned into a very expensive hobby for many years, and is finally uh, seems like it's starting to become a viable business for us. Wow,
0: congrats. When you said you were at a poker game, I thought maybe you won, the re- won his recipe in the, in the <laughs> poker game. Maybe, that, maybe he was cashed out of chips, like, all I've got left is, is this recipe for my limoncello that my great-grandfather, I, I swore that I would keep this a family secret, but I know I've got a good hand. You know, I'm yeah. throwing this in the pot, and you turned over four aces, and he wept for 3 days and you that got That definitely the sounds
2: like a little more interesting story. <laughs> that's a, that was the rumor that was my wife would joke and say, "Yeah, he won the recipe from an Italian chef in a poker game."
0: Oh. Um, but yeah, this one was all ours. <laughs> okay, good, good. Well, I, you know, that sounds a little fairer. Yeah. That's good. So that so that's what started it out, the lemon cello. Yeah? Right. And you still do you still make a lemon We do.
2: It's it's seasonal. Uh Meyer lemons grow only in the winter. Mm-hmm. Um so we we make our liqueur, our, our, it's, it's basically a flavored brandy because we use an unaged brandy as the base alcohol, which is something a little bit different than traditional limoncello as well. Um, so we make it once a year right around now, as soon as they're ready to harvest.
0: So that's hap- that is happening yeah, now? Yeah, we'll,
2: we'll go into production next month for our, our batch of Ooh. limoncello. Can
0: I come in and just sure, uh, see, this, see this big nose of mine? I've got to turn a <laughs> profile. I just want to come in and sniff.
2: Sure. And that, that's the best part of making limoncello. The Meyer lemons are just so aromatic. The whole distillery just smells like lemons. It's awesome.
0: All right. I'm going to ask you a loaded question right now. Sure. Ready? You mentioned your wife mm-hmm. is your uh, partner in this business. Right. Um, I also work with my wife in our mm-hmm. in our business. How's it work with your wife?
2: It's it's fantastic, to be honest with you. Um, we understand each other. We've grown to understand um, our our needs and just the way that we prefer to do business. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really brought us closer. Um, do we argue? Of course. That's just part of being married. I think, you know, you have disagreements. But uh, having to work together all day just makes it so that any of those arguments that you have just kind of disappear because you have no— you just have to let it go. You know, you're right. you're in. You're doing something that you truly love to do, and you. And when you're when you're working and you're having fun doing it, those arguments just seem insignificant at the end of the day.
0: You know, there's I, I can totally relate to what you just said, <laughs> and I do love it. I mean, I wouldn't change anything having this, the small family business that we have and working closely. Yeah. with my wife and anytime I feel stressed, and it's not usually related to my wife. I want to make that clear, honey. <laughs> if you're listening, uh, it's just you know when you're in business. Sure. Things can get stressful. It's like, it's like business. But I'll say that doing something that I really enjoy, being in the wine business, yeah. and living here in Napa Valley, and our winery, you know, is surrounded by vineyard. And all I really have to do is just look out the window I and know. just step outside for a quick walk around the winery. And, you know, you're right. Things just kind of right. disappear, ready to get back to it. You know, there's a new appreciation for life and right how good things really are when you stop to think about it.
2: Exactly, that's so true. Uh, it, we, I, I completely relate to that. We're just so blessed to be able to do something we truly love to do in one of the most beautiful parts of, of, of the world. Yeah. You know, it's just it's fantastic to be here.
0: Well, congratulations. What brought you to Napa? You said you were in the Central right, Valley. Right, we were
2: living in Central California. Um, or actually, Central California. Uh, so,
0: yeah, uh, Fresno. Okay, so Central, Central
2: Valley. Valley. And uh, we've always wanted to live up here. Okay. Um, the first time we made a trip to Napa uh, was in 1999, and we had a fantastic time. My son, who's now 14, was just a little baby. Yeah. Um, and we just knew right away that we wanted to be up here. And we, we always made the trip from central California to Napa for a weekend of whining and dining and just sure. living and enjoying the Napa Valley lifestyle, the weather, the people, just everything about Napa is just awesome. Mm-hmm. So we knew we wanted to eventually live here. Um, and that's why we started the business here. And when we, in fact, when we started the business, we were still living in Central California. Oh, sure. And it, it was we were traveling back and forth, um, all, basically weekly. Um, wow, what a commute! It was very difficult, uh, but we knew that we had something unique that we loved, and we wanted to, you know, nurture it and build it and get it to the point where uh, we can uproot our family. We have three children, mm-hmm. and move to Napa and be a little bit more comfortable in, in, in that move. But we knew we were eventually, win, lose, or draw, we were going to make it to Napa.
0: And you're digging it? We love it. Every single day. Great. I'm glad to hear that. Let's hear more of your story. This is Arthur Hartunian, proprietor of Napa Valley Distillery right here in downtown Napa with Tasting Salon about to open at Oxbow, but you still have your retail space open at Oxbow. We
2: do, yeah. And we actually do tastings now in our in our existing facility, but just on the weekends.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah. So you can still go taste on weekends, but... Plenty. Well, we're going to talk much more about it (laughs) right after we take a break. Don't touch that dial.
1: We'll be back with more of Judd's Napa Valley Show right after these messages. Everyone's a Finkel friend on Judd's Napa Valley Show. Here's a look at your Napa Valley news, courtesy of the Napa Valley Register. There is no Napa Valley news. I'm Sharpie.
0: Now back to Judd's Napa Valley Show. (laughs) (laughs) Lauren with a little improv. I like that. (laughs) All right. So we're here today, Judd's Napa Valley Show. My name is Judd Finkelstein, and my guest today, Mr. Arthur Hartunian, proprietor of Napa Valley Distillery here in downtown Napa with your retail space at the Oxbow Market where folks can come. Taste some of your spirits on the weekends, but you'll have your full-time tasting salon opening March 1st, looks like. Yes. But um, anytime, folks can come taste your amazing array of bitters and shrubs and, and tell us about...
2: Tinctures and Yeah, tell, and tell such, us about what you've got there at the retail So It's, space. A, it's really a bar shop. It's something for the cocktail geek, <clears throat> which I admittedly am.
0: As am I. <laughs>
2: Um, It's, uh, I think, one of the largest, if not the largest, collection of artisanal cocktail bitters, shrubs, tinctures, and such, all in one place where you can actually taste and um, basically sample the flavor profiles of all the different bitters before you commit to purchasing a bottle.
0: I've never seen anything like it. It's overwhelming. How How do you steer folks to a particular bitter when you have how many hundreds of bitters?
2: We have over 300 yeah. types of bitters, flavors, different flavors.
0: So, how, I mean, that's overwhelming to me.
2: Yeah, it's it's challenging for us uh, as well because we, we need to get to know the customer a little bit and right. uh, kind of understand what kind of um, cocktails they're interested in making so that we can steer them in the right direction. But it really comes down to their flavor preference. Mm-hmm. Uh, bitters are the great equalizer, I like to call them. They love company. And they... they are in fact, an important part of, of a proper cocktail. Uh, but you can make 15 different Manhattans and use 15 different bitters. Uh, they might all work.
0: With that as the only variable, you mean? Exactly. Like the same.
2: Use the same uh, a bourbon or rye, mm-hmm. uh, the same sweet vermouth, the same cherry, but add different bitters. And it's com- the cocktail is completely different. Right. Um, so it's really going to come down to your flavor preference. You know, do you want something aromatic or do you want a specific flavor profile like a chocolate, a grapefruit, an orange, right. a cherry, a vanilla? I
0: made yeah. uh, Manhattan with some peach bitters I got from you. So and that's,
2: that's very unique. It was
0: wonderful. Yeah. You know, a little bourbon with that slight... Right, peach fruit sweetness was it was great. Exactly. And it's also
2: matching the bitters with the spirits. Uh, bourbon has a different flavor profile than rye whiskey. Mm-hmm. Um, the type of vermouth you wor- you use can affect your decision to use either, a, like you said, a peach bitters or a, a just a complete aromatic bitters. So right. there's a lot of variations.
0: No, it's definitely the spot for the cocktail geek, the cocktail snob. Uh, I remember you... You got me interested in this type of bitters. You said, "Okay, this this kind of bitters, we get it from England. <laughs> right. Now it's sold yeah. in the U.S. as well, but we don't get that one. Right. We get the one that comes from England because it has this one we ingredient the, that's yeah. not available in the U.S. version. And right. you can we're the only place in the U.S. that has right. it. And you know, got me. You know, I picked up a bottle and shaken up a few drinks, and it's it's fun. It's fun to have something." unique and different, and those who really know, when I make a drink, using like, wow, what's going on here? And I hold up my little thing <laughs> of beer, like, oh, go over, go over, see Arthur, right. he'll hook right. you up.
2: That's the Abbott's Bitters, and that's a exa- almost that exact recreation of the original Abbott Bitters, which was manufactured here in the U.S., um, and was an important part of the Manhattan. Actually, the original recipe for the Manhattan calls for rye whiskey, sweet vermouth, Maraschino cherry and Abbott's bitters. Not just bitters, but very specific. It called for Abbott's bitters, hmm. and uh, Abbott's bitters went out of business sometime in the 19 late 1940s. So you can't get anymore. I, actually, I as a bitter collector, I have two original bottles of the Abbotts with the bitters in them still. Wow! And uh, when I compare it to the recreation of the Bob's bitters Abbotts, which is the one yeah, you were talking Bob's, about. Yeah. It's almost exact, right down to the, the nose. It's just the way that Bob reverse engineered this bitters is just incredible.
0: Mm. And you can taste all of the bitters, tinctures, shrubs. I mean, they're available syrup. Yeah, people everything to taste. is
2: there on our tasting table for you to taste. Um, we have tasting spoons that you can just dive right in.
0: So cool. So very cool. All right. So you make seasonally. You make the limoncello. Right. But you're very well known for your vodka.
1: That's
2: right. We're probably best known for, for our vodka.
0: And that you make throughout the year, or is that seasonal as well?
2: Uh, it's v- v- like vintage. We make uh, a batch every 12 or 18 months as soon as we get a hold of some really good Sauvignon Blanc.
0: Okay, exactly what I wanted to ask you, because I saw, um, and I've seen it there, it says vintage vintage vodka. Right. Which is something I've never heard of before. Uh, is this <laughs> due to the fact that you're in Napa Valley and you're tying into the wine? Oh, no great-based? Uh, uh, uh,
2: yeah, well, we use a vintage wine. So um, traditionally, vodkas are made from potatoes, or mostly they're made from corns or some sort of grain, which are generally not vintage ingredients. Hmm. Um, but we use a vintage Sauvignon Blanc, and the quality or the flavor of that wine is going to vary from vintage to vintage, and that also... Happens to cross over to the uh, once you distill the wine, the flavor profile changes as well mm. um, because wine is just it's so alive, it's a it, there's a lot of flavor and character to it that's going to vary through distillation. Right. So, unlike uh, corn or raw corn or raw potatoes, that m- most of the time are going to taste pretty much like nothing.
0: You've gotten some pretty good feedback for your vintage vodka.
2: We have, we 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 love hearing. More of it, yeah. It's, it, was, it was a gamble to release a vodka that's quite pricey compared to what most vodkas sell, sell for during the height of the um, economic crisis. Um, but it's, it, I, I think there's a, there's a market for everything. And for those spirits connoisseurs that are really looking for something special, something unique, um, it was, seemed to be the right fit.
0: Well, let me read this review. Because I'll I'll toot your horn for you. You know, <laughs> Wine Enthusiast magazine named it one of the top 50 spirits of 2011. Right. So, you know, a couple of years ago, they, this was named one of the top. And this is, you know, worldwide. You're not just competing with, you know, American vodkas. This is just right, it's, all spirits it's good, it's all across over. the board. And great review. I'm just going to read a few of the descriptors. Sure. I thought were pretty cool. This is from Wine Enthusiast talking about Napa Valley Distillery vintage vodka. Let's see. A memorable vodka with lots of swagger and a hefty <laughs> price tag. So they do mention it's pricey. Yeah, um, But they're also telling you, you know, if you're going to get a bottle, if you're going to pony up, you're going to get a good experience. Let's see what else it says. Ooh, addictively sippable. That's a good one. And it says, Wine lovers will want to try it, though cocktailians will think twice before mixing this pricey elixir into drinks. Pair with cheeses, seafood, or caviar ooh, <laughs> nice, and then it says seventy bucks for a seven fifty right. bottle right yeah
2: it's uh, it's, it's uh, it sells it somewhere between sixty five and seventy dollars, and we have it for sixty five
0: so get the deal, go straight to you <laughs> so let's um, talk about that I mean because sure. you can get a you know good vodka twenty thirty bucks right. you can get a good right. vodka so is this is this up there a little bit because of the the grapes the process what
2: yes both um you know the ingredients that we use. Um, you know this being in the wine business, Napa Valley Sauvignon Blanc can be quite pricey. In fact, as, as much as two thousand dollars a ton. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I when do know. <laughs> when um, wheats, which are a wheats are uh, grains, corns generally are somewhere around seventy-five or eighty dollars a ton. And raw potatoes, which are also used to make vodka, are about two hundred and fifty or three hundred dollars a ton. So the raw wow. materials we That's use cheap compared.
0: I'm right, dirt cheap. No pun intended, coming out of the potatoes, but
2: exactly. Sorry. Sorry. So the the, the raw materials we use are just much more pricey, and we start with about three thousand gallons of really good Sauvignon Blanc. Mm. Uh, but by the time we're done with distillation, we have about three hundred gallons of our base spirit, which we then refine with with water. Oh. We'll end up with about five hundred or five hundred fifty gallons of of vodka. So from three thousand gallons down to really 550 gallons of usable product. Mm. Um, there's a big loss ratio. So it just, it costs a lot more to manufacture. Uh, and the process of manufacture, we distill in a copper pot still that's used to make brandies and whiskey. So it's all hand batch distilled. It's just very time consuming and a tedious process. But the end result is the flavor that we want to get. You can't right. get that flavor from wheat or potatoes. It's not a flavored vodka. It's just very flavorful. And right, those flavors... Right. Are, are derived from the ingredients we use to manufacture them, which is Premium Sal Blanc.
0: Very cool. And you were drawn to vodka, I imagine, because of your heritage?
2: Yes, yeah. You know, from a business standpoint, it made sense to make vodka, mm-hmm. because it's the most highly consumed alcoholic beverage in the world.
0: Yeah, people drink vodka.
2: They do. It's, I mean, it's, it's enjoyed straight on the rocks and martinis and cocktails. It's just there's so many ways to, to drink vodka. So from a business standpoint, it made sense for us to pursue the vodka space. But mm-hmm. I wanted to, if I was going to do that, I wanted to have a vodka that's completely different from anything else that's on the market so that I don't have to worry about competing mm. with the big brands, which I have no absolute no chance right now at, at right, right. you know, succeeding. So I wanted to make a vodka that was completely different and one that highlighted local ingredients. Well, we're in Napa. So sure. we... we It didn't make sense to make a vodka from corn or potatoes here.
0: Yeah, absolutely right. I want to talk about that in a sec. I also like this quote from you uh, in an article in the L.A. Weekly Mm -hmm. where I guess the same question was posed, and your answer was, Armenians like vodka.
2: (laughs) (laughs) We do. We like vodka. We love, absolutely love brandy.
0: Oh, okay. Well, I think we're getting to that as well in a moment. So I'm curious, with the Armenian heritage, what... How is vodka enjoyed? You know, cl- uh, classically, traditionally, straight, just straight, Right. with a meal. You sip
2: with a meal, right? Cold. Sip or shoot with a meal. Cold.
0: Yes, in fact, as cold as possible. Okay, so how does that work? You know, having, um, I have, I had a uh, you know Russian grandfather who mm-hmm. kept a bottle in the freezer. Right. Of um, what was it? it was a vodka that had the buffalo grass in it. Um, yeah, it I think
2: bison. Is that yeah, bison? The bison? Exactly. Right.
0: Uh-huh. So what is it? How how would it be presented at the traditional Armenian table, the vodka? So
2: while I grew up seeing my parents and my family enjoying vodka straight out of the freezer, and that's how I started drinking vodka straight out of the freezer, Mm -hmm. as I developed my palate and as I began to understand a little bit more about premium craft spirits, I, I discovered that... That was the wrong thing to do. Oh. Uh, You don't freeze—you shouldn't freeze vodka. You you absolutely shouldn't freeze any distilled spirit. Hmm. You should enjoy it as cold as possible without freezing it, because when you you bring the temperature of the spirit down that cold, what you're doing is you're not only masking the good flavors from coming out, you're preventing the good flavors from coming out, but you're also preventing— and masking the off flavors, the bad flavors. So I mean, if you freeze benzene, it'll go down <laughs> smoother. So what you want to do, and I guess that has been part of a marketing tactic to really you know hide the the harshness of some of the poorly made vodkas mm. by freezing them before you drink them. But if you drink a vodka at room temperature, it's an open book. There, You see everything. There's nothing right. to hide. And you're able to experience the good and the bad of, of a particular vodka. So we recommend serving our vodka uh, right out of the refrigerator, not the freezer. Just chill it, um, just like you would enjoy a Chardonnay or, or a Sauvignon Blanc, you know, slightly chilled but not overly chilled, uh, and mask the, the good flavors that we want you to experience.
0: Okay, good tip. Good tip. Now, you mentioned using grapes. So do you find that you get subtleties from things such as, you know, terroir yep. from the geography where the grapes are grown come through in the vodka?
2: Yes, they do. Absolutely. Through distillation, even though we distill to a very high proof level, um, it's going to vary from from wine to wine. It just makes a big difference. So we look for certain characteristics in the wine uh, that we're going to use for distillation. We just look for really nice, crisp... Uh, Fruity, kind of nice, uh, citric uh, backbone to it. Something that will really stand up in during distillation.
0: And you find that that comes through in your in your vodka. Yes,
2: absolutely. And something that's not oaked. We don't use any. uh, Like we experimented with some Chardonnay that uh, was barrel aged, and it just come out came out just awful.
0: Oh, really? No oak. Oh, okay. Good to know as well. (laughs) Won't be getting any oak out of your Napa Valley distillery spirits. Uh, Another quote I read from you from the Napa Valley Register goes along these lines, where you said that just as good grapes from good soil make good wine, good wine from good grapes and good soil makes good spirits.
2: Right. That's true.
0: Simple as that, huh?
2: Um, well, the, the distiller has a lot to say about that as well. <laughs> the, the, the process of distillation is just a very important part of the overall, the broader picture of distilled spirits manufacture. So the distiller is very important.
0: All right. So you make the vodka. What else are you making? Limoncello, we know seasonally. Right.
2: We make the, uh, we, the we like to call it the Meyer lemon liqueur because oh, it's really me. different than the okay. limoncello. the Meyer lemon liqueur. It is technically a limoncello. Uh, and then we make uh, different barrel-aged cocktails that we launched early last year. We make uh, uh, seven different varieties. They're pre-Prohibition era recipes. They're mm. like the Manhattan or the Negroni or even obscure cocktails like the East India. What um, is in
0: that? I remember trying that and liking it very much, but, but remind me, what, what is the East the India? East India the
2: East India cocktail dates back to 1850, and you'd be hard-pressed to find that on any uh, cocktail menu, even in the city. Hmm. Um, it is uh, made from brandy, uh, curacao, which is a kind of an orange right. uh, liqueur, uh, blackberry syrup, and blood orange bitters.
0: That was it, the blackberry. I'm a sucker for blackberry. Yeah.
2: I, I, like, I like fruit uh, syrups as well. Mm-hmm. Blackberry, raspberry,
0: cherry. And that's a bottled cocktail. You can go up to your retail space and pick one of those yes. up. Yes.
2: Yeah. They're, in fact, they're flavored brandies, but they're made in a cocktail form. I see. Okay. Um, and we make that at the distillery. We blend it. We basically make a giant cocktail of 10-gallon uh, batches using those ingredients. And then we barrel-age it in a uh, used whiskey barrel for up to 10 weeks. And we allow that uh, that during that barrel-aging process, really what happens is the, uh, the flavors of the... Uh, cocktail really intensify and marry mm-hmm. and take on the old characteristics of the barrel so what you have is a cocktail that really no amount of shaking or stirring is going to produce and it's just exactly how cocktails were made and served back in the 1800s through barrel aging it's it isn't something that we invented or you know created it's just something that we're replicating
0: yeah but you're making a name for yourself doing it uh, at any one time you have mm-hmm. several bottled cocktails that, that yes. one can go and buy from you. Mm-hmm. And are they all done in that same style where you make the batch, then do they all go into barrel? Are they all barrel-aged? Yes,
2: they all go into barrel. Uh, there's a couple of different ones uh, that we don't barrel-age because we don't want it to sit in a barrel too long. Mm. We just add some oak chips to it just to give just a slight oak character to I it. See. So they vary depending on the cocktail.
0: Well, you were very nice, and I have two bottles in front of me that you brought <laughs> today. And, you know, I think... You know, let's, let's see what's going on. You well, wanna... it's 5
2: o'clock somewhere, right? Right. <laughs> yeah,
0: I see this oak-blended Manhattan, mm-hmm. and this is a brandy Manhattan. This is not, not your typical bourbon not your... or rye Manhattan. So, right. you want to tell me about this while I pop the cork?
2: Well, the, uh, the original recipe I think I mentioned earlier of the Manhattan calls for rye whiskey, but there are different variations of the, brand, uh, of the Manhattan, and they involve either rye whiskey, bourbon, or brandy. And, and In fact, back in the 1800s, Um, Bartenders would make a Manhattan with just... With any brown spirits, anything they could get their hands on. So uh, there was no real requirement on how a a Manhattan should be served back then. And being that we're in wine country, we're not in Bourbon County, Kentucky, uh, we have plenty of brandy here. So we decided to make our uh, our Manhattan using brandy.
0: It's a beautiful color. You know, it's kind of that burnt umber, you know, translucent uh, color. There's a little bit of... um a little bit of some what do you call sediment in there a little mm-hmm. bit. That's that's okay. Shows me it came out of the barrel and there's been probably mixed with some good stuff. Let's uh, let's see what's sure. going on. Cheers. <laughs> Cheers. Here we go. Mmm, that's delicious. Thank you. That that's wonderful. The brandy really comes through. It's got that kind of sharp, crisp, grapey mm-hmm. flavor. Um. It's got a good sweetness to it. Um, that's good, but not overly sweet. I mean, it's, it's, that's, that's it, right on. It's cocktails
2: uh, just like, uh, I'm, I'm sure you know this very well.
0: <laughs> not today, okay.
2: Uh, cocktails, just like in wines and foods, it's really just about balance. You know, it, uh, sure. it can't be overly sweet. It can't be overly sour. It can't be too strong. It has to be very balanced with all the different flavors of the cocktail kind of jockeying for your attention. So that's what we've tried to do. Um, and uh, of course, the proper way to enjoy that Manhattan is on the rocks or, or at least shake in and get, you know, kind of dilute the flavors and add a little ice to it. Um, I can see that. And that'll really help bring out the flavors. You don't as just well.
0: drink it out of the bottle like I just no. did. Okay. <laughs> well, here's your next one. This says the original old Hollywood gin with two N's. And mm-hmm. then you say a, uh, a scandalous blend of botanicals. Pretty bottle too, by the way. These thank kind you of squat. What do you call this style of bottle? Uh,
2: it's called a Nordic. Nordic. Okay.
0: Well, go, go, anyone who's interested, <laughs> just go go over to the oxbow check it out. So, what can you tell me about this old Hollywood gin? While I pop. The
2: so cup? that's something that we really <clears throat> are proud of. Uh, that was uh, conceived and made uh, in our little distillery here in Napa, and it's um, it is, you know, it is a gin. It is uh, technically a flavored brandy because. We use an unaged grape brandy as the base spirit for the gin. Uh, so, while it's not legally categorized as a gin, that's why we use two ends. Oh, I see. Okay. Um, that we. Was my next question. I, I prefer to let you, the consumer, decide whether or not it's gin worthy or not.
0: Well, I just um, popped the cork and the the nose on this thing. At times like this, I'm glad my nose is as big as it is because this <laughs> smells great and I can just soak it all up. Uh,
2: yeah, for me, you know, it's all about aromatics. It's about the 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 smell of something. It's and it was spiced.
0: Really... oh, go ahead, please no, tell I'm me sorry. more. No, no, go ahead.
2: Um, so we make the old Hollywood gin. Really, how gin was made back in the 1800s, um, and there's a picture of a starlet on the label, yes. kind of soaking in a bathtub. Like... So that really. Signals. Uh, there's tub. there's a there's a meaning to the bathtub. It's a bathtub style gin, and what we do is we take our unaged grape brandy and we infuse the, the absolutes of the different botanicals we want in the gin, the different flavors, um, and we use nine different uh botanicals, seven of which I can tell you, but two I can't. no, uh, no don't tell, tell me even, any of them. My wife recently got it out of me, but it's let's just... let's keep it a secret.
0: <laughs> All I can say is it smells wonderful. I'm going to uh take a little sip. Sure, here we go. Mm. it's a little spicy. Right. Um, in a good way. I mean, it's nice. Thank you. That'll wake up the taste bud. That's a good <laughs> eye-opener. This is a good it morning is. drink.
2: You know, it, uh, the gin flavors, um, because we don't read it still, we really need the flavors to stand up in a cocktail like a Negroni, which has several ingredients in there. So we need the flavors of the botanicals to stay true and, and stay robust even during a cocktail.
0: Yeah, uh, so. That's wonderful. That's really a lot of fun. So folks who want to entertain and are afraid to mix up, you can go right over to Napa Valley Distillery, your retail space at the Oxbow, and just pick up some bottled cocktails. So, Arthur, mm-hmm. I've got an important question I need to ask you at this point. Um, do you go nuts for donuts?
2: I love donuts. That's my uh, weakness. Well, he's bringing a box to you right. right now, Arthur. And for my favorite place, the Buttercreed, Creed. No, I That's drive right. by every morning
0: The very Uh, sweet Brenda at Buttercream Bakery hooked us up this morning. Thank you, so take a look. Take a look in there. Choose one. I'm not giving you all a box. What do you? Oh, okay. No, no. (laughs) I mean, maybe eventually. After the show, if there's any left, you can have what's left. But pick one of those donuts. We've got quite an array. Well, I'm a I'm a chocolate.
2: Thank you. I'm a chocolate freak. So I see
0: one. Take that's it. It's covered with chocolate. So there you go. The chocolate, chocolate raised. The, right. Here we are sitting in Napa Valley. Oh, good. Not this time. <laughs> Not the maple. Old-fashioned. That means one of us can have that, Lauren. That
2: was my second
0: favorite. That's been on a tear here at the show. But
2: I, had, I saw both you guys eyeballing that one, <laughs> so I backed off
0: on it. So you're nibbling this chocolate raised donut. What are you sipping or mixing up to go with that?
2: I think a glass of milk.
0: <laughs> a glass of milk? Okay. <laughs> or maybe, how about, a, how about a, a, what do they call it? a um, Brandy milk punch? Brandy Alexander. Brandy Alexander. There you go. Excellent. I like that. Now it's time to play everyone's favorite party game here on Judd's Napa Valley Show. This is Mad Libs. Or a Mad Libs-like, similar, fill-in-the-blank word game. Here we go. You know how this is played, right, Arthur? <laughs> I remember. We're of about uh-huh. the same generation. We know about Mad Libs. So I'll ask you for some... Um, some. I'm just going to start. I don't need to sure. describe it. You know. F- folks have listened know what's going on. I need an adjective.
2: Uh, frightening.
0: Frightening. Ooh. Okay, I hope that's <laughs> not how you feel here in the studio right now. And a plural noun. Umbrellas. Umbrellas. All right, another plural noun.
2: Um, I used to play so soccer balls.
0: Soccer balls. A verb ending in I-N-G. Kissing.
1: Oh, <laughs> that is sweet. Isn't Valentine's Day sweet. coming up. Kissing.
0: Uh, another verb ending in ing. Uh, singing. Singing. All right. And finally, yet another plural noun. Um,
2: why this comes to mind clowns. <laughs>
0: Welcome to the greatest show on earth. <laughs> I know, sitting with us two. Here we go. So, Arthur, in preparing for this show, you sent me some biographical information about yourself, and you've just rewritten part of it via Madlibs. Are you ready? Here we go. Arthur Hartunian is the founder and proprietor of Napa Valley Distillery, the first distillery in the city of Napa since Prohibition. Arthur is a mixologist and blender who's created several frightening cocktails <laughs> and crafts just about everything at the distillery himself. Arthur was also the founding president of the California Artisanal Umbrellas Guild. <laughs> Arthur and his wife, Lucine enjoy traveling with their children and spending time with family and soccer balls around the dinner table. That's actually true. Oh, that that's, is? Uh, okay, that's, that's, good. We nailed that one. Good. <laughs> Arthur isn't very good at golf, biking, surfing, or most other outdoor activities, except for maybe kissing and singing. (laughs) Wow. He loves meeting clowns and is very passionate about family and what he does. Arthur Hartunian, I want to thank you very much for coming. Napa Valley Distillery. This is Lauren Mole speaking for Judd's Napa Valley Show, a -a Gilamar
1: production. Judd's Napa Valley Show.